powered by Go Goat Sports in partnership with TSN. It is episode 48, season 4 of the Rain Dregs Hockey Podcast. And it is presented by our title sponsor, Canadian Club Whiskey. We've got Scott Rintoul, who's the host of the documentary podcast series on the West Coast Express. Long-form podcast, incredibly detailed, talking about that, that great line, right, of Bertuzzi and Morrison and Naslin back in the day with the Vancouver Canucks and, you know, some of the, the good, some of the not-so-good and, and the multiple interviews that Scotty did and the storytelling is just incredible. So looking forward to having a chat with him. We'll get to headlines here. I'm in I'm in Florida. Um not at the NHL hotel this time. It's a first. It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. But I had an interesting experience yesterday. Got done the the meetings at about three o'clock, taped our TV stuff, came back, get in shorts and a t-shirt. And I've got a poolside room with a balcony, second floor, not that high. So I'm looking out over the pool and it's a smallish hotel pool that's what it is it's not this big resort oceanfront setup right right and i look over and there's this guy mid 40s maybe probably needs to work out a little bit harder he's shirtless you know he's poolside what does he care he's got crock of booze in his hand like a 66 ounce (laughs) A booze in his hand, in his right hand, and a paper cup in the other, and he literally sits down across from me and just starts pounding <laughs> on this thing. And I'm like, "Oh boy, where am I staying?" So, oh, don't get those things at the League Hotel. My now, friend. I would say his evening took a left turn somewhere along the way. If he's going paper cup, he's got he's got a. He's got a long road in front of him, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, and what I learned, and I, I didn't talk to him directly, but I, I learned after the fact, I think he's the dad of a young baseball player who's in spring training oh. in the local area. Now, who knows what level of player this kid is, but I'm right. like, well, he's having a good time. He's watching his kid play minor pro ball or trying to make his way, and then right. he's crushing it poolside. So, all right, headlines, and... You know, not humorous at all for the Carolina Hurricanes. Why don't we start with the Andrei Sveshnikov situation. Worst case scenario, worst news that the Carolina Hurricanes could receive is that he requires surgeon, season-ending surgery for an ACL injury, knee injury, that takes him out for the remainder of the year. And I mean, you know, we talked about the Hurricanes, whether Donnie Waddell could have, should have done more to, you know, bring in a little bit more sk- scoring near the trade deadline. Now you take out a young talent like Sveshnikov, who's got what? 23 goals, that is a tough pill for Brenda Moore and company to have to swallow. Next to Sebastian Ajo, their most important forward, this is devastating for them. All of a sudden, the road through the Eastern Conference, in my opinion, got a little more pliable because I yeah. I really don't think Carolina is a factor without Svechnikov. I think there'll be a pain in the ass to play against. They, they needed to score prior to Svechnikov going out, now that he's out. I just don't know, unless they win every game 2-1, I don't know how, how they're going to do it. I really don't. It's a it's a brutal injury, and you know the long-term prognosis is always good compared to what it was 40 years ago right, or 30 years ago. But the problem with an ACL surgery is, generally speaking, it takes about 8 to 10 months, almost a year, till you feel really good again. He'll right. be back earlier than that. You know, it's March. April, May, June, July, August, September. It's probably back maybe the first of November, mm. unless he's, you know, really lucky. But then he's got to 
rebuild his game again. It's it's a brutal injury and feel bad for him. It's it's a tough one. Yeah. I, so you look around the league and, and Jared Bednar talked in Colorado about Arturi Lekkinen being out, what, a minimum four? It's a four to six week yep. injury. I mean, that's a another tough one for a team that has dealt with injuries all season long. If 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 there's a bright spot, it was news from Kyle Dubas, the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, acknowledging to the media today that the break of the finger that Ryan O'Reilly suffered actually is better than what they expected. I mean, he had it surgically fixed, a surgery, surgically fixed. So he's not going to be out as long. And the good news is that, um, you know, they expect him to be back in time for the playoffs. At the GM meetings here, Ray, right? Um, the March meetings are generally lower key. Historically, we've seen some stuff, some some rule tweaks, recommendations come out of these meetings that lead to bigger changes. That probably isn't going to be the case this time. The, the game is in pretty good shape. Nobody's panicking. So that's when you get into the finicky detail discussion mm-hmm. work, right? So among the things being discussed, additional video review in either the form of a coach's challenge or the situation room in Toronto, having the ability to review puck over glass and high sticking, not just the double minor for high sticking, high sticking period, so that they don't get tagged with the phantom stick or friendly fire, right? That leads to a penalty that shouldn't have been a penalty if it's, you know, your own teammate stick. Have we, and, and look, just for clarification, they're just talking about it. They're not making okay. any recommendations, any of that. It Let just, me ask you a question. Yeah. Is it, so say there's a missed high sticking penalty. I high stick you. Right. Can that be reviewed? I don't believe so. Good. I don't believe. Because if, if it yeah. could, what yeah. I was going to say is what about if it's a missed trip or a missed hook? It, it's it, endless though, it's, right? It's endless. So here's what I think the league should do. And of course, nobody's asking, but I'm going to tell them anyway, is that as they get through this and whether they decide to add puck over glass review or, you know, friendly fire, high stick penalty, they should put out a document to the media because the media means the fans get it too. Right. Here are the rules that can be video reviewed. Here are the circumstances they can be used in so that it just, how about being proactive instead of reactive? Right. But I, worst I think case it would be scenario, really valuable. Right. And I don't disagree with you. Worst case scenario from, from the mouth of Colin Campbell, head of hockey operations, is a deciding game in the playoffs. And there's a call that goes wrong, puck over glass, whatever, in overtime. And the outcome is determined by a penalty or a missed call. Right. I'm like, I guess, but hasn't it been like that for? for decades right and then so then to your point you know well number one if you make it a coach's challenge how many coaches in overtime in a playoff game ray are applying coaches challenge on a scenario like that unless they're 100 percent sure that there was a bad call you're not doing it because you're not going down five on three in overtime you know and so that's there's their there's their safety net why they don't think there'll be more reviews yeah because coaches aren't going to do it. I've got an idea to that. I don't think it should be the coach's responsibility. Why does the coach have to challenge a mistake by the official? So you're saying the situation room should manage it. If it's if it's yeah. called over the glass penalty and it isn't, why should a coach have to be on the hook for that? Right. By the way, 
those reviews, there should yeah. be a time limit on them. Agreed. Because it's ridiculous to send there and watch two. Yeah. Nah, but it's not. It's no. It's not. You get two linesmen over there splitting hairs on an offside call for five minutes. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I think yeah. they've got a $10 million clock. As soon as they put the headsets on and they've established communication, start 90 seconds. Yeah. Make like as soon call. as you've established, so you're not mucking around and they're, yeah. they lose their review time while yeah. they're trying to get the communications right. Yeah. And if you can't, I don't determine, think it should be a coach's challenge. I think it drags. Well, it should not be a coach's challenge. It should come from the situation room. If you want to get it right, get it right. Put a 90 second time limit on it. Put a document out that tells you what is and is not reviewable and yeah. then move on. See, but I think that this is about public relations as well. And I think that the commissioner's office especially would rather it be a coach's challenge because then it puts the onus on the coach and the NHL can't botch it twice. Okay, so now you know what I mean by that? Yeah, so they miss it the first time and then they review it and they miss it the second time. Right. Because they reverse it, correct? Yes, yes. But to me, you're worried about something that's not to be worried about because you can say we've got it right. That's what reviews for. Yeah. Wow. Like I, I think I like video review. I think it's so muddy in too many places that instead of tacking rules on, clean it up so that everybody has an idea what and what is not the right. The categories can be reviewed. Dregs, I'm telling you, in the playoffs last year, I talked to half a dozen coaches. Those guys can't agree on whether it's Monday or Tuesday most yeah. of the time. Every one of them said reviewing a goal or goalie interference where the penalty is an extra penalty is not right. Why should that be the coach's challenge? Either it is or it isn't should come from the situation. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree. And they're right. By the way, you're now making that decision on a, on your video coach's recommendation, right? That poor guy is going to make a call on a decision that might cost the team a million or 2 million or $10 million. If they get bumped out of a series because of it. Yeah. It's not well, right. imagine, you know what? The commissioner years ago, the reason that there's any video review at this point is because Matt Duchesne was 12 feet offside back in the day, right? Oh, With Colorado. Yeah. And, and so the league said, well, we can't have that. I mean, it was embarrassing for the right. National Hockey League. But Batman at that time, when they introduced initially the, the, the video review said, be careful because there will be unintended consequence and we're living it now. We're seeing it. It's not about good goal versus bad goal. Now we're overturning penalties, you know, or worrying about judgment calls by the officials based on. By the way, review. how many times do they get the puck over the glass wrong? Never. It is amazing. You look not at very that replay often. five yeah. times and you go, man, they got it right How'd again. They get that. Yeah. Um, one other thing as we wrap up headlines, I mean, the only reason I'm, I'm I'm trying to minimize the amount of discussion on the general manager's meetings, because in fairness, the game is pretty good, right? So right. they don't have a whole lot of reason to, to pull it apart. One of the talking points was fights after clean hits. And it's not viewed as a big issue. Maybe you view it as a bigger issue because you do those games. You analyze those games and you see it as much of it as anybody in hockey, period. And we do see it too much, but I think the emphasis is, and it's not like Stephen Walken, the head of officiating, is going to send, you know, staff email to all his officials to say, hey, damn it, start calling the instigator penalty. I mean, but it's there. Like, deterrent is obvious, isn't it? Either call an instigator if you feel it applies, 
or call an additional two minute minor for something else that led right. to the fight or the sequence. And it will probably get deterred just just naturally, wouldn't it, by doing that? If like I I I dislike the the guy that makes the clean hit, now he's got a fight. Yeah. I just I mean that's yeah. this is a scenario we're talking about. I'm assuming they don't like to hand out the instigator because it carries a 10 minute misconduct with it. So call roughing. Yeah, that's it. You know, give, that's it. give the extra, give a power play. If, if the hit is clean and there's no penalty on it and a fight ensues, chances are the guy that made the hit is not yeah. starting the fight. There's yeah. no reason for him to start it. So give yeah. the other guys the extra penalty. Right. Drags one more thing I want to bring up really quick. Yeah, of course. Um, they spoke at the meeting and you would have the detail on it about the uh, mandating uh, in yeah, the cut future, resistant. The, the cut resistant stuff. Yeah. Uh, for, yeah. For wrist guards and, and legs. Yeah. Socks. Yeah. And the players, there's a comfort level and things like that, that they have to talk through. Yes. We just talked about our Terry Lekkinen and Ryan O'Reilly with broken fingers out of the lineup. To me, this all goes together. Guys wear gloves today with no cuffs and they're like mitts. They're like mittens that you wear in the winter. They're, they get a pair of gloves in the morning. They wear them in the game that night. There's very little to no protection in them. Yeah. And I yeah. really wonder why the Players Association doesn't have a discussion with their players and thereby with the equipment manufacturers trying to get a little more protection in the gloves. Yeah. Interesting. Because the gloves are so light, Drake's, they could easily extend the cuff. Yeah. And the guys wouldn't even notice it. Mm. They really wouldn't. I think I had pretty good hands. I had cuffs up to my bloody elbows. <laughs> and these things weighed about three pounds each. They were terrible compared to today's gloves. They could easily make a glove that is protective of the fingers, thumbs, and wrists. Yeah. That is light enough for the players. I, I think it's a foolish chance they take. So Rod Pasma, who works inside hockey operations, he's the head of the equipment subcommittee that works with the NHLPA, right, on all of this. Made a presentation here yesterday in Florida to the GMs. Apparently, the video that he showed, Ray, uh, was off the charts, graphic and gory and grotesque. He didn't do it to gross anybody out. The hope is that the managers take it back to their team and say, look, you don't have to look at this video, but here are some of the injuries, Evander Kane, Ryan Johansson, that have been documented this year. Have a look at it. If you're even remotely on the fence about whether you should be wearing, you know, cut resistant sleeves or the socks or some of the other protection, watch this video. I guess it was just ridiculously bad, but it left them, no pun intended, it left a mark with all of the general managers in attendance there. So those are your headlines. Our interviews on Rain Regs this season brought to you by our good pals at Canadian Club Whiskey who are asking, are you over beer? So why not try a refreshing CC ginger ale with lime next time you're having a drink or watching a game. Hi, it's Ray Ferraro. You've probably heard me talking about my friends at North Beach Agency and Craft Growth. They provide customized marketing solutions tailored to help grow businesses of all sizes. From results-driven marketing across TV, radio, and podcasts to websites, digital, social, out-of-home, and everything in between, they have the proven expertise to get the measurable results you need to get your business growing. You can visit craftgrowth.net and book your free business growth consultation now. That's craftgrowth.net.
So, Ray, you know the the heavy level of preparation that we do for the Ray and Dregs Hockey Podcast. So I reached out to our next guest, Scott Rintoul, earlier today just to say, hey, Scott, like, you know, we crossed paths years ago, work television, you're, you're a veteran, all of these things. How do you want me to introduce you? And, you know, what are some of the finer points that you want to drill down on? How do you think Scott Rintoul said, here's how, how you should introduce me? What comes to mind when you think of Scott Rintoul? Morning show co-host of Ray Ferraro. <laughs> was that Not it? Close. No, no, that no, wasn't it. That but wasn't yeah, it. Hey, no. <laughs> okay, you ready? Okay, here it is. Veteran broadcaster turned podcaster. And then he goes on, creator of Unreal, West Coast Express, which is all well, true. But it's, it's very all true, but it's legit. You ask yeah. for, if you know Scotty, Scotty and this Scotty, is this fair? You're a detail guy. I am a detail guy. And I also thought that sounded a lot better than like you dregs piggybacked Ray around on a show. (laughs) Last week, Scotty, you said you listened to last week and you know, we were complaining about booking guests. I said, no, no, that was just Dregs. I said, I've booked one guest this year, two actually two now two. And one of them is you. And one of them did not have any links to this. I don't think there's a correlation. It's got nothing to do with me. Okay. Nothing to do with you at all. Nothing at all. You are better talking about opossums and raccoons and your dogs <laughs> with dregs. And maybe who's going to win in a fight between you two. I thought that's why you guys were bringing me on to ultimately be the judge on that. Well, no, I, I would say that, that would be a pretty, sh- that would be the easiest work you've ever had right there. <laughs> in, in fairness, Ray, I mean, look, I mean, that's why we have Rob Gray and Raheem. We've got this great cast. Well, what the of, hell were they doing? producers i know like when you work a game for espn or abc they don't ask you to go and plug the truck in right like you show up and you do what you need to we do. know why that doesn't happen right? <laughs> <laughs> we'd never get on the air fair enough all Scotty, right Scotty. how are you doing yeah he looks like he's doing great i'm great i'm great yeah. guys thanks for having me on it's a pleasure as always to hook up with you two okay Scotty, well let's dive started, into it oh sorry yeah. you go ahead drinks you go ahead yeah get well look I'll, I'll i'll introduce the, the the podcast and then ray you can yeah. dive in with some of the details after that but scott the the podcast that you worked on which i wasn't making fun of in any way shape or form as part of your introduction right west coast express but one of the nhl's great lines and all the trials and tribulations of that great line what's unique and impressive is not just the level of detail which we've already kind of made fun of but the fact that to do it in a long form, the way that you have, allows you to present everything, all the details, because there is so much that went into that era of the Vancouver Canucks. But why this story and how fantastic is it to be able to do the deep dive that you've done? Well, I'll answer the second question first. It has been a thrill and it's been a lot of detail, but it has been fun. This is something I've never done before. And you guys know, based on the mediums we've worked in, you don't get to sink your teeth into a lot of things for as long as you'd like to. You almost leave every long interview or every broadcast thinking, I wish we could have just done a little more with that particular person or heard a couple more stories. But this allows you to do that. And why this story? Pretty simple. On the surface, it's just three guys acquired by three different general managers who didn't really work out with their original teams, and somehow they end up being the most dominant line in the NHL for a short period of time, but still the most dominant line in the NHL. That, on the surface, is a great story. But when you mentioned earlier the trials and tribulations, they had so many memorable moments together, Mm. some of them triumphant, some of them on the other side. 
where it was unforgettable heartache, but it seemed like every single year there was something happened that as a hockey fan, you just wouldn't forget. And it made for a compelling story to tell. When the when the Canucks were in that time frame, they get to the cup final in 94. They lose to the Rangers in a, just an unbelievable series. It was It was an unreal series. And then things kind of tailed away. You've lived in Vancouver pretty much your whole life. At that time, like the Canucks were just looking for something, anything. And then it all hit. Mm. What was the, as you talk to people, what was the, the first part of that thing that had to work? The acquisition of Brendan Morrison, Marcus Nasland, and Todd Bertuzzi. Like what was the first thing that had to hit? It seems like the first thing that really had to hit Ray, with all due respect to those players, was probably Brian Burke. And the reason I say that is because that time was so chaotic in Canucks history. You mentioned they go to the cup final, one of the most memorable ones ever. And four years later, nobody knows which way is up. Like quite literally, Corey Hurst says in the podcast, he didn't know at one point who the GM was. Like he wasn't (laughs) sure who the general manager was. Was it Mike Keenan? Was it Steve Tambellini? Nobody really knew. And that's where they were in only four short years. So Brian Burke came in and gave them stability. Now, Nasland was already here in Vancouver. Bertuzzi had recently been acquired by Mike Keenan when Burke arrived, but they weren't what they were going to be. Burke gave the foundation and he said, all right, I'm going to be here. And you knew Burke and Keenan weren't going to coexist for very long based on the way that both of them are. And that's not even Scotty. And that's not even revisionist history. No, no. As soon as Burke came in, it seemed like pick a date yeah because it's gonna happen correct yeah no question about it and people detail that in the podcast and burke said i promised ownership that i would make sure we gave mike keenan a chance but you guys both know burke yeah i don't know how long that leash was ever going to be no you know scotty a few years ago you you sent me a note about listening to this long-form podcast and i'm generally one episode type of podcast listener but you got me into the um, the podcast about the NBA official scandal. And the way you said it is, you probably think you know a lot about the story, but man, this is fascinating. And what I found was like a hundred things, honestly, that I had <laughs> no idea about. What are some of the most remarkable things you found out about the West Coast Express that even though you lived it and lived around it and were in the media, you didn't know? Man, there's a laundry list, quite frankly. One of the big ones that jumps out, though, Ray, is how bad the relationship got between Mark Crawford and Todd Bertuzzi. And I think most people know what Todd Bertuzzi's persona was back in the day. That doesn't mean that's how he was as a person, but that was his public persona. You described him, Ray, when we talked as being brooding and gruff, and that's how he came across. So I don't think it would come as any surprise that he would have somewhat of a strained dynamic with a head coach but it got really bad. And they hid that pretty well. They didn't hide it from their teammates very well, but they hid that from the public very, very well up until the time that both ultimately left the Vancouver Canucks. So that's one that sticks out. But even going back and you hear some of those stories before the West Coast Express got going, Tom Larshide, the former color commentator for the Canucks, tells a story in one of the early episodes about Pat Quinn getting fired and him being in his hotel room. And I won't steal Tommy's thunder here, but the emotional way he describes that with Gino Ojic and Pavel Burry entering that room while he was doing the interview, that level of emotion, those kinds of stories that come out during a telling of a 
of a long tail like this. And, and the other thing I guess that jumps out to me, it's amazing to me how small the hockey world is. Like every time I would go down, all right, this guy comes into the organization. Wait a second. He got traded for who? And that connects back to the Canucks in a former lifetime. How? Like the number of times George McPhee pops up in the story <laughs> or the way that Dan Cluche and Felix Potvin and Kevin Weeks were all related to each other in the goaltending carousel in Vancouver. It's almost mind blowing how it happens, quite frankly. How's Todd Bertuzzi doing now? Do we know? Scott, like I, I used to cross paths with him on the minor hockey run. His son Tag played against my son Mason many, many times. So in that environment, aside from when the game was going on, because he was an intense father, but <laughs> I mean, he was a fun guy to talk to. And we'd talk about stuff going on around the NHL and all of that. But how's he faring now? I think he's doing really well, quite yeah. frankly, Darren. I've talked to him on a number of occasions over the last couple of months as the podcast has been coming out and constantly keeping in communication with him and the other two principals on that line. And I think what people will hear in this podcast, if they've listened already or they haven't even yeah. dove in yet, he has a level of accountability and vulnerability that wasn't there during his playing days. Interesting. He was like a lot of athletes, and you guys understand this. Yeah. He was proud and he didn't want to let his guard down very often. Right. But Todd Bertuzzi has done a lot of personal work and it shows up. I honestly believe that he is the star or one of the stars of this entire series simply because of that. When so we'll talk about Bert first and you know such a like honestly he was a unicorn player. Like we we talk about a you know we think a power forward is and you know oh. I can go back into into my days of Keith Kachuk and, you know, and Bert and like those guys would go straight over top of you or go around you or whatever they needed to do. And they were bigger and stronger than everybody else. It was just, it was remarkable to, and I was envious of watching them play because you know, I sure as hell could do that. So when you get to Bertuzzi, no matter what he did, it always comes back to that March 8th game. Right. Uh, that was the game against Colorado, the whirlwind of stuff that was going on prior to the incident with Steve Moore. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, Ray, you were at the game. Yeah. I was at the game. And if you were there, you'll never forget the feeling you had in that arena. And I can only imagine what it was like for any of the people involved in that event to live through it. Todd Bertuzzi, Steve Moore, some of the people who are on the ice, some of the people who are close to those players. And it's not something Todd wants to talk about in great detail, which I think all of us can completely understand. Sure. Right. Yeah. But his line mates, his teammates, his general manager, his head coach, they did come forth with how they felt about what happened that night, how they felt then. And Mark Crawford has a quote where he says, I still don't feel comfortable talking about it to this day. Like, it just doesn't make him mm. feel okay. There's, there's really nothing that's completely been resolved in him. And I think anybody who's around that event knows that. And one of the things that I was able to do with this podcast and some of the stories that people shared... I actually had a buddy say to me literally today, how did that incident get so big? He wasn't living in Vancouver at the time. And he said, like, I know that it's brutality on the ice, but we've seen that before in sports. We've seen that before in the NHL. Why did it get so big? And one of the things that you find out by listening to that episode is how it just exploded from a media standpoint. Mm. And the timing was like something we've never seen before because it was the day before the trade deadline. You had two networks, and Darren, you would have been working that day. Yeah. Ray, you would have been working that day. You have, I don't know how many hours between the two stations 
20, 25 continuous live hours yeah. of talking about hockey. And as you guys know, on trade deadline day, not a lot of trades develop, certainly early. So what are you going to talk about? Oof. And then as Mark Crawford says in news, it wasn't a particularly fast day. There wasn't a lot else going on. So he got picked <laughs> up in places that probably it would never have gotten picked up. But there's another there's another part to this, Scotty, is that yeah. it also had a two-week run-up because sure. Moore hit Marcus Nasland a few weeks prior in Colorado. Most people that wouldn't be from Vancouver or Denver forget that the two teams yeah. played in between the two games. And then they got to Vancouver. The game was for first place. And it was five nothing in the first period. Like yeah. it was, there was something in that building that night, Scotty. And you know, you mentioned you were there, but like, couldn't you just feel it? Like something when it was five nothing. This is not good. This is not no question, good. no question. And the game you mentioned in between, which was five days before right. the one that ultimately transpired on March eighth, that was a five five hockey game that showcased all of the talent those two teams had. <laughs> that loaded Avalanche roster with Sackick and Forsberg. And that was Paul Korea, team Usulani year as well oh, yeah. in Colorado. And of course, the West Coast Express and the Sedins and Jovanovsky, they were all firing guns ablaze in that night in Colorado. But this was the first game back in Vancouver. And there was anticipation because it was the first time Steve Moore was in town. There was anticipation because Trevor Linden was set to become the Canucks all-time leading scorer, possibly as soon as that night. And as you mentioned, it was for first place. Nobody thought it could have gone that way because the stakes were so high from a team standpoint. So just stepping away from that so we don't talk just about that because yeah. this is about the West Coast Express. It's not, yeah. although it's inevitable that people are going to focus in on that episode, right? Like it's going to happen. Yet when you talk about the acquisition of the players, Marcus Naslin was a first round pick in Pittsburgh that walked into a loaded Penguins team and he had nowhere to play. <laughs> and he just became an afterthought there. Yeah. How did that happen? And Brendan Morrison, he was the most popular man on the University of Michigan campus ahead of Tom Brady, who was yeah. some schlub third string quarterback. And Mole comes here. And, you know, he was in New Jersey first, I think a second round pick. Was he Scotty? He was a second round pick. Yep. 39th right. overall. And so they Bert was a first round pick with the Islanders. They kind of get slopped together, but they weren't even really aligned. Like talk no. about how that lightning struck. Well, Naslin comes to Vancouver and it didn't go well off the hop. He was okay and started to get a little bit of playing time here and there with Mark Messier. But then the upheaval, as I mentioned, occurred when, Pat Quinn got dismissed and Mike Keenan came in. And as Naslin details, he wasn't exactly a fan favorite of Mike Keenan's when he arrived. You know, Marcus Naslin doesn't strike you as a Mike Keenan style of guy. But through injury, Naslin ended up getting a chance. And one of the, you mentioned some of the things that come out. One of the things I love that Marcus Naslin says is that one of the things that settled him down, they had their first child in 1998. And for the first time in his life, it wasn't just about hockey. When he left the rink and he went home, his mind was focused on his child and on his family. And he was a guy who got inside his head a lot and it helped him. Well, he started to take off a little bit that year. Bertuzzi hadn't really taken off, but when he got to Vancouver, it was a fresh start. He's playing with Messier and McGillney off the hop. That's a pretty sweet place to, yeah. to land, but breaks his leg and then hurts his knee and misses the bulk of an entire season. So these guys were coming along at different times. Nazem was the first guy to establish himself as a star. Bertuzzi's starting to knock on the door at 25 goals, which is good, but not star status in the NHL. 
Morrison comes along and he's not even their center. Morrison is playing second, third line duty because Andrew Castles is between the two. And that line was really good. Well, one night, Mark Crawford decides to put them together in Detroit. Needed a little bit of a change up. And all of a sudden, they have a big game. He can see the speed that Morrison brings to the line because Castles, as good as he was and as nice vision as he had, he wasn't fast. And now Morrison could cover the defensive end and unlock their game off the rush, which had kind of been missing. They were more of a half-court offense, if you will, with Andrew Castles between Mm -hmm. them. And that line played so well that the notorious line blender, Mark Crawford, he couldn't switch him after that. (laughs) He had to keep them together because they suddenly were the hottest line in the league. And the rest, as they say, on a positive front Mm -hmm. is history. All right, as we uh, wrap up here, Scott, um, take us into the response, right, to West Coast Express. What's the the listener response, and then where can we find you? Well, the listener response has been fantastic. Thanks for asking, Dregs. And and before I even get to that, I want to thank both of you guys because you've both been very supportive of this podcast in its making in a bunch of different ways. So thank you to both of you. But the listener response has been fantastic. Like you guys mentioned, they've really appreciated the details, hearing stories they didn't know about. Some have said, that transported me back to a time where I really became passionate about the game. One of the best compliments that I've gotten from multiple people is them say, my dad's listening and I'm listening. And in some cases, my kids are listening and we're all talking about it. And we remember it in different ways, but we're having conversations about it. And that's so cool because that's really what sports history is. I think we've all had those relationships in our family before where sports moments or eras connect us with each other, with our families and our friends. So that's been great to see as well. The the response has been fantastic, which is really been been nice on, on this end of it i would say it's yes it's a vancouver canucks story but it's a story outside of some of the details it's changed from team to team but every team that you follow has some era mostly when you were younger that connects you to it that you never forget like people ask you know you know whenever i talk about baseball how did you become a boston red sox fan well when i was 11 jim rice and fred lynn were rookies I don't know why. I thought they were really cool guys. And I just followed the Red Sox since 1975 because something connected me at that time. And for a lot of people, Scotty, this walk through the West Coast Express gets to refan a lot of people's interest. And it's not just Vancouver. It's a really cool thing. You've, you put, I don't even know how many hours into this thing. The product is awesome. It's a great lesson. And I hope people check it out. Thanks, Ray. And thanks, Darren. This has been awesome, guys. I really appreciate your support on it. It's been a lot of fun to put together. Thanks, Scott. Oh, there he is, Chris Abbott. He's back. He's live and in person. He's returned from Portugal, where you had all kinds of good things going. Chris dropped by to anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Was there work? Yeah, we did. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, we worked worked a lot. Have either of you guys been to Portugal? No, I have not. No, No, sir. No. Man, I recommend it. It was good. And uh, food is tremendous. Uh, it was beautiful. Yeah. The people were outstanding. Yeah. You know, I'm always curious when I go to Europe, how I can get around as a only English speaker, right? I'm always humbled. You know what right. I mean? Like everyone else t- goes out of their way to speak to me in my language, but all, you know, most people spoke English. It was great. And, nice. and it was beautiful. The food, the, and, and of course the champions league match that we went to. So that was awesome. Yeah. Talk about that in a moment. Chris joins us, presentation Botano.ca, now available in Ontario. Botano says the game starts now. You took in, like you said, that one Champions League game, right, in Portugal. So what was the experience like, the environment, chaotic, all of those things? Yeah, it was great. So, you know, Botano's new to Canada, yeah. but 
well-established in Europe and, and we're a Jersey sponsor of Benfica, the team and one of the teams in Lisbon anyhow. And they were into the round of 16 against club Bruges, which featured Tejon Buchanan. So it was really cool to see him play, nice. you know, live and in Europe and all that stuff. But you know, you know, whatever it was, 55, 60,000 people mm-hmm. <laughs> all singing the same songs. Well, except for these two sections of Bruges fans that were <laughs> up in the third the third level, you know, and it was, it was just really, you always hear about it. And I had never been to a, you know, a European football match and I can't wait to go back. It was just outstanding, but you know, same problems we have stuck in traffic, getting into the arena, stuck in traffic, getting out of the Okay. Hang on. So (laughs) you mean to tell me they don't have a traffic flow to handle 55,000 people all at once? (laughs) No, no, they certainly don't. It, It reminded me of going to a game in Ottawa. (laughs) <laughs> why is the stadium in the middle four miles from the middle of nowhere yeah it felt like it man it felt like you know we went to we were on this highway and and from our hotel i think we probably could have walked it as quickly as we drove there it took like almost an hour to you know get through the traffic it was a an 8 p.m kickoff i think but mm-hmm. it didn't matter you know oh. it was it was wild. But I mean, like you said, mm. what are you going to do? Any, yeah. any sporting event you go to at that magnitude, it's, it's hard to get in and out. For sure. Speaking of traffic, Chris, I'm assuming Batano.ca is going to be jammed here in, well, probably is already, right? With the onset of, of March Madness and everything that goes into that. And look, let's, we're basketball fans to a point. It's, it's hard to embrace March Madness. But the fun part about, about March Madness is, is the obvious, right? And that's the early upset. So talk about how much activity there is buzzing around the world right now based on the NCAA coming up. You know, it's funny. Uh, you're a basketball fan to a degree, like you said, right? Hockey guys yeah. at heart, and and you guys know my baseball affinity. But <laughs> even more and more as I go around Toronto this week, I hear people talking about it. It'd be, you know, yeah. everyone likes to get in their brackets and all this. So lot, lots of betting action going on. Always lots of upsets. It's fun. Most people are going to bet on something they have no idea about. Who's watching college basketball? I mean, how can you? There's a hundred and some odd teams. You can't know all of these teams. And and they don't have any history against each other. So it's a wild and fun time, especially the first couple of weekends. They do it really well. And I've talked about this with you guys before, the way that, you know, when the NHL did the the playoffs in the bubble and you had games staggered start times, you could bet all day. It's a gambler's dream, this March Madness. I think the first two days of the tournament are the best two days of the tournament for just what you're talking about. There are games flying all over the place. And I actually think it was more exciting to watch it 20 years ago than today. And the reason I'll say, and I'm curious from, you know, from your betting perspective is because you couldn't watch all the games and then they'd say, let's drop in and right the east regional and there's yeah. some team you've never heard of with a three-point lead with <laughs> a minute 40 left like i love that stuff really pushed the urgency and does that change the betting the urgency of okay i'm losing <laughs> this game but i can i can live bet must right Nasty. it's it's yeah i mean there's there's a fine line because basketball is one of these sports like tennis where there's a lot of scoring and a lot of swings and there is the opportunity with live betting to, to get in there a few different times. Some people use it as a hedge opportunity. Some people use it as a chase opportunity. And so one thing I'll say is be careful if you start chasing a game. Because the other good thing is if you lose one, there's another one coming around the corner. Don't get too caught up on the, <laughs> on the one that you're down. But yeah, man, absolutely. Especially 
you know, one of the things that you'll see is a really low scoring first half and then the live total will drop and then the teams kind of find their rhythm or, you know, an underdog will get out to a lead and then you're looking at the favor and like, well, this team was, you know, a 20 point favorite pregame and now they're a three point yeah. favorite at half. Well, I mean, that's a great bet, you know. So again, but you don't know anything about these teams. So I, I, it's, uh, it's, I would say one of the things about basketball that it, it is the toughest sport is the line will be 11 and a half. Some teams up by 14. They got the student manager in by this point <laughs> and they give up a couple of threes at the end. And you're like, and they're happy. They won. Yeah. They're moving on. And you're like, I just got kicked in the teeth. It's yeah. the, I think it's the, it's the toughest to really feel confident until it's over sport. Well, that's the thing. There's so many points in a basketball game. And like you said, the guy throwing up the three-pointer at the end with, with you know, it doesn't matter. Like, it might be a 16-point game at this point. It goes in and you got people wondering if it counted. Oh, they've already switched to the <laughs> next game. Let me see the official score. So, yeah, so it's uh, – it's a lot of fun, and it's a really fun way to way to spend a weekend, that's for sure. Quick hockey comment, did the Buffalo Sabres kind of reach into Chris Abbott's pocket and just snag a little cash on Monday night? Well, we've talked about it. You know, I, the reason I work for an operator is because I'm not very good at this thing, right? So <laughs> I'm looking at the board, and I'm like, Colorado, massive favorite in Montreal. Toronto, massive favorite at home. By, by and large, good season going, great record. Craig Anderson's coming in. He's older than I am. I'm like, at some point, like, this is, this is you know, last time I think they played, I bet Buffalo and the Leafs spanked them. So I was like, all right, this, you know, that parlay was even money. And, you know, Colorado jumps out to an early lead. All right, this is in the bag. Toronto, first period, dominated. Then they go up 2 nothing. I'm like, all right, all right. And I, there should have been a live stream on me as that game played out coming down the stretch because I was furious absolutely furious <laughs> and then you know two on oh they missed the net and i was like oh, yeah. i'm watching with my Had buddy a bit of everything like, oh man i was furious and then you know but <laughs> gotta be honest when i say I, I don't see every leafs game but when i see games like last night and the game that you should win it just brings back all those feelings about why i bet against them in the first round so i'll try and try and keep the emotions in check but man oh man i saw a lot of the same things Awesome. All right, buddy. We'll check back on Thursday. All right, fellas. Thanks so much. A little sad, Ray, as we wrap up episode 48 of the Rain Dregs podcast. I mean, you know, I get to Florida a couple of times a year, once in December for the board meetings, once in March as part of our introduction to Mail It in March as an insider group here with the GM meetings in the National Hockey League. But no golf. A couple of your buddies. I'm not going to mention their names, general manager buddies. Maybe playing golf as we record this this afternoon, Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, yeah. They may be playing with one of the greatest players in NHL history. They may be playing at a golf course not too far from where we're staying, Palm Beach. But just I'm not going to disclose any names because. So that's an unsubstantiated rumor, then. Yeah. Well, yes, but sort of. One of them <laughs> you've played a fair amount of golf with. Over the years. <laughs> well, when it, okay, so here's the thing. When the meetings are over, what are you supposed to do? Well, exactly. You either go to the pool, right? Some of them have their wives here. So, I mean, they've got... Did Holly make the trip down? No, 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 no. She's working. Was she invited? Always. Every single year. Twice a year, I invite her. I think she's maybe come three times in the last... Are you taking it personal yet? No. No. You should maybe think about that. Yeah. What's your week look like? You got a busy travel stretch here, huh? Well, I do, but not till Friday. Okay. So I'm home and kids are home for spring break and 
you know, a lot of energy for the kids. Uh, first couple of days, two teenagers, a lot of energy uh, early in spring break. You need a shovel to get them out of bed. Yeah. Like, and, what are you uh, talking, noon at the earliest? Well, Reese just turned 13 and all of a sudden he's like 1030, I think, this morning. I'm like, uh-huh. whoa, where did that come from? Riley had to get up. He's still got soccer this week. But then the end of the week, we're we're going to go to Phoenix for a few days where it looks like it's in the mid, mid-70s. mid So nice. oof, look at a little, little warmth. And then I got a couple games. I'm going to be gone for 12 days with four games and a little spring break trip in there too. So. Nah, good for you. We'll enjoy that family time. And I've got, well, like dude, I what said. What about you? When are you home? Back tomorrow night, Wednesday night. So that's fine. The meetings will wrap up early. I'll, I'll fraternize with a couple of GMs who are going to stay along and jump on a flight. Get back for Thursday, another episode of Ray and Dregs. And then we've got the the Leaf game against Carolina, who we talked about earlier in the podcast on Friday. So busy week, travel and games. It's all good. No complaints. Yep. Getting getting close though. We're getting into yeah. the you know you get into ten twelve games left and yeah those final jockeying for position spots are are pretty heated. No question. Huge shout out to our partners, Ray. We make podcast possible each week. Our title sponsor, Canadian Club Whiskey. Who ask are you over beer? By Batano.ca. Now available in Ontario. Remember Batano says the game starts now. And by Doer, you use the code RND Pants and you will save fifteen percent off everything at doer.ca. That's episode 48 of Rain Dregs. Until episode 49 on Thursday, stay safe, everybody. 